So yeah, that last song was pretty powerful, wasn't it? You are here. You are holy. We're standing in your presence. I was thinking as we sang that song, we all come this morning with different sort of spiritual temperatures. Some of us are maybe ready to encounter God, hear from God, worship God, connect with God, sit in his presence. Maybe some of us are just glad we're alive and we're having a hard time with that. And so we kind of all come with different, um, yeah, different spiritual temperament right now. So I just pray that the Spirit would enter you as we enter the Scriptures, and not my words but His words, God's words coming through. Because uh, we're going to continue on in the series that Ben started a couple weeks ago in James. And James is a neat book. Um, It's all about motion. It's all about showing your, your, your theology in motion. You know, walk your talk. Do what you say you really believe in. Whether it's coming into trials or whether it's handling your anger or handling your words. James really is pushing hard on this notion of show it, prove it. And it's an interesting topic today that gets down to the faith, proving your faith. And James spends a fair amount of time on it, and so we're going to do that as well because the Holy Spirit moved James to speak those words, and we're going to feel like, yeah, they're important, and they're important for us, and we'll kind of draw it in at the end and say, so what does that mean for us? Father God, thanks today for giving us a space to worship, giving us a desire to worship, and God, I pray that you would fill our hearts as we sit here. And for anyone who doesn't know who you are, God, that you would enter their heart today and that you would be very present and that you would make the text meaningful as we go through it. God, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being present with us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So James is not saying that one's faith is obtained or earned by works, but James is saying that it's proven by works. And so in that thought of works, folks tend to talk maybe in extremes. And on, on one end of the continuum, as, as long as I'm a good person and, and uh, I, do, I have good moral character and I do good works, I'm going to be saved and it, it's all based on what I do. And on the other end of the continuum, it has nothing to do with what I do, but I re- rely totally on the fact that Christ died on the cross for me. And that's all I have to worry about. And we know from Paul, who addresses the first extreme, that that the works-based salvation, meaning it's what I do, Paul says in another text, it's like adding to the cross. In Ephesians 2, Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. And so he's saying, look, it's not what you've done. It's what Jesus has done. It's a gift that you receive, Paul is saying. Makes it abundantly clear. So I'm not adding anything to it. But James is taking care of the other extreme, which says, I don't have to show anything. James, James 2.14 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He says you have to prove or show your faith by your works. Can that faith save him? Is a phrase he used there. Let's take two words out of there and maybe do a little explanation on the word faith. In the Old Testament, that was a conviction that God is who he says he is. He's a sovereign God. They followed his rules. They followed his laws. 
In the New Testament, it's a conviction of God who is who he is who he says he is, and that Jesus is the Son of God, and that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the faith, the one who is sent from God for the purpose of restoring that relationship between God and man. There's the faith in that person and in that act, understanding that I'm a sinner and I need that gift of grace that Jesus provided on the cross. Now, that's all uh, inner thinking or personal conviction, personal beliefs on the inside. But if it doesn't show on the outside in my actions, then James is saying it can't be real. At some point, it's going to show. But I'm thinking of the person who might say, my faith is personal, just between me and God. I don't have to show it. And that's true. Our faith is between us and God. But James is asking what that faith, what that faith looks like in everyday living. How does it manifest itself? How does it prove itself, James is saying. When I'm teeing up spiritual conversations with someone, I'll often ask, what role does spirituality play in your life? And I'll get a wide variety of answers from the dough in the headlights, like, what are you talking about, to the, the conviction that, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I know who God is. And so I often say, how does that sort of play out in your daily life? Again, sometimes you get a dough in the headlight, like, what, I go to church, like, what else is there? And so it's just sort of peeling back the layers of what does it mean to know who God is and to have that as your personal conviction and as your life um, witness, as your life testimony. And so back to that phrase, can that faith save? And we've defined faith, let's define save, um, literally to be rescued from punishment or the consequences of sin. Right, Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. We're all born into a sin-filled world. We're all born with a sin-filled spirit. And no one achieves the holiness of God that God requires on his or her own. So in the Old Testament, there are laws to be kept to be saved. In the New Testament or today, there's grace, not laws. I'm saved as a result of what Jesus did on the cross, and grace is obtained through Jesus. And then my belief or my conviction in what he did but here's the rub. James is saying, how do I prove or show that I have faith? Where is the evidence that I have faith? Where is the fruit that gives evidence of the Holy Spirit, fruits of the Spirit? So he gives an example in 15, James 2.15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things that needed things needed for the body, what good is that? So awful, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead, dead faith. Pretty strong. James uses some strong language, and I'd love to meet James. He's an interesting critic because he's, uh, he's got some aggression to him, but he says, you know, it's dead. It's not like it's marginalized, or maybe it's not as strong as it should be. No, it's dead. So what profit is there with mere words unaccompanied by acts of mercy. If you say you are a generous and kind person, but you don't show it, then how does anybody know that you're a generous and kind person? If Scott Paul says he planted alfalfa in the back 20, the only way you know if Scott planted alfalfa in the back 20 is if the alfalfa grows. If it doesn't grow, then Scott's a sham. I think it grew. So the Holy Spirit is saying through James that we need evidence of our inner faith. One commentator put it this way when referring to that verse. He said, there's no work of grace in the heart 
where there are no acts of grace in the life. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was a very eloquent way of saying that. There's no works of grace in the heart where there's no acts of grace in the life. So all this is kind of saying, as you're listening to this, how is my life showing acts of grace? Reminds me of that old Sunday school song. Yes, I was raised in the church, and so I learned all the old Sunday school songs. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? The finger was held up. The first finger was held up as indicative of a little candle. And we, we shine it all over the neighborhood. We did a lot of actions with our motions back then. And then we didn't put a bushel over the top because we didn't want to hide that little light of mine. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you think I'm crazy. But if you were raised in the church, you know what I'm talking about. But it was that notion of this light, this candle, is going to do something to the world around me. And we're going to shine it all over the neighborhood because it's going to give life. That faith is going to give life. So then James brings up a hypothetical conversation in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, which he has already said is not possible. And I will show you my faith by my works. So someone might say they have faith in God, but they have nothing to show for it. Almost like an imposter or, or a fake he says, I show I have faith in God through the actions of my daily living, my works. Here's sort of a tongue-in-cheek modern-day metaphor. And don't send me any, any nasty grams because of this one. I'm just sort of drawing a parallel. How many of you heard of the urban slang called catfishing? Oh, a couple have had. Catfishing, for those who were less informed, is on the dating sites, Match Dot, that kind of thing, where you create this whole persona, including a picture and a whole bio, that's not you. But you draw in people that want to connect with that person. Catfishing. It's not really who you are. But you're playing the game of romance. Chances are, go a little further than this, and you'll never really meet that person, because if you meet them, then your cover's blown. But you create this imposter. It's not really who you are. That's not what James was saying, but it's kind of similar to what James was saying. It's kind of a fake. You've got to prove who you are, be the real deal. And then in verse 19, he makes a radical comparison, which is pretty aggressive. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what he's saying is that mere monotheism or belief in one God is not a saving faith. Just believing in one God is not. The, the demons believe in God, and they shudder at the judgment to come. So if your faith doesn't produce fruit, he says your beliefs are no different, different than the demons. That's pretty strong. That's James. And then he describes two Old Testament examples of saving faith in action. First one's in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Don't know quite why I had to put that in there. It was an interesting comment. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So most of you should know the story of Abraham. God challenged Abraham. God tested his faith. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go to this area. It's an area called Moriah. And I'm going to show you a mountain when you get there. And then go up to the mountain. And I want you to sacrifice your son. So you know the story. Abraham took what it was necessary to sacrifice, but didn't have the lamb that was common in those days. He walked three days. One can only imagine what's going through his head as he's walking three days. And his son did, clearly was clueless because he, at the very end he said, Dad, where's the, where's the, uh, the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide, right? So he goes to that spot, climbs the mountain with his son, binds his son, puts his son on the altar, gets ready to slay his son, and God speaks to him and says, don't do that. I've got a ram here for you. There was a ram nearby. So take that as a sacrifice. And so Abraham already believed in God. He already had a faith in God. But God said, I want you to show that faith in action. I want you to do something that's radical to prove that your belief system is already in place. Obviously, God does not call everyone to an Abraham sacrifice. But God knows what he wants of you to prove that your faith is viable. And each one of us goes through different customized challenges or testing of God. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Do you believe me, God is saying? Show it. Show it. And so earlier I said that Paul talks about the risk of thinking we're saved by our works. Paul remember, wants to make sure that it's not a work-based salvation. It's faith alone. But Paul uses the same example of Abraham to, to, to expand on or to prove his point as James does to prove his point, which is interesting. Both these guys are sort of proving separate points using the same individual, Abraham, in their thinking. So let's go to Romans for a second. Romans 4. What shall we say then, Paul is speaking here, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. See, when you, when you first started this series in James a couple weeks ago, Ben said that James was a controversial epistle. One that Martin Luther called an epistle of straw because it seemed to contradict what Paul was saying in Romans. But apparently Luther's and a few others failed to notice Paul's words, but not before God. See, before God, Abraham knew, excuse me, God knew Abraham's heart. But before man, there was a bit of, could be a bit of boasting because he did quite an incredible thing. But God knew more than the, God knew what was on the inside. See, both James and Paul agree that Abraham believed in God or believed that God was all supreme in his life. And that's what made him righteous. He was fit to be used by God, fit for God. His belief in God saved him. His actions made his belief known to men. His faith became evident through his actions. See, if Abraham was justified, or just as if I'd never sinned, or fit for God by works, then he had something to boast about. 
before man, but not before God, is what Paul said. Because God knew his heart, as I just mentioned. God knew he already believed in God and in God's words. But his actions proved his faith or his belief to man and became the fruit, if you will, of his faith. Because there's some 40 years between Abraham's belief in God and Abraham's actions to prove those beliefs through what he did with Isaac. So James and Paul are not saying two different things. They actually agree. See, before God, Abraham had saving faith by his belief alone. God knew Abraham's heart. Before man, he showed or proved his actions. That's the same thing God is calling us to do. He's telling us to believe in his work, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, believe that I'm a sinner and need a Savior, but then prove through my life that I am now a believer or a follower of Christ. Through my words, through my actions. It's not good enough just to believe, James is saying. What's going on on the outside? And then James references another Old Testament example with Rahab. I love it when God uses Rahab a prostitute as a biblical example. Oh, that's so great. Gives us all hope. James 2.25. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also, also faith apart from works is dead. Same theme, just keeps going on and on and on with it. But the fact that it's there so much means there must be something there for us. Rahab's also mentioned in the Hall of Fame, right? The Hall of Faith, excuse me, chapter Hebrews 11. Rahab this harlot. Is somebody that God wants to pull out and say, that's my person, that's my girl. She's doing, her, she's doing good stuff. You know the story of Rahab, right? Joshua, we're going to spy out the land, sent two spies before they took the land, conquered the land. Spies came into Jericho. Rahab snuck them into her house. And then the king sent a couple servants and said, hey, a couple guys in here? And she said, no, they're not in here. She lied. He hid him upstairs, and then she let him out through a window. And she did all these things, but it was her way of believing. She said, here's an interesting verse in, in Joshua. I don't think I have this up in the overhead. I don't, I'm pretty sure I don't. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. See, she was somebody who came to faith in God before she hid the spy. She hid the spies because she realized who God was. The power of God, his name and what he had done through children of Israel to the children of Israel had spread. And she believed that testimony. So her belief in God was secure before she hid the spies. But she hid the spies because she wanted to support God's work. Crazy stuff. She's a prostitute and she lies and God says, that's my girl. Only God can make that stuff happen the way he wants to. But she proved her faith, and she's mentioned several times as a result of it. So the last verse that I read, for the body apart from faith, for the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead.
Just those two comparisons tells a story, doesn't it? If you don't have life in you, you're dead. Spiritually, physically. So what can we learn from this? What's the takeaway? I believe we're here on earth to be influencers. We're here in Wood County to be influencers. We're here in Bowling Green to be influencers. Jesus said we're to be light and salt. Salt influences the food we eat. Light influences the dark. And both of those influence the world around them. They're influencers. How are we influencing the world around us? Our social groups, our neighbors, our coworkers, random God-shaped counters. We had a God-shaped encounter when we were on vacation with a couple of us a couple weeks ago. So a girl named Amy was our, was our waitress at a restaurant. We were having a great time, having a great time with Amy. And I don't know how the conversation turned there, but Amy was raised in a Christian home, but she really wanted to explore the Muslim faith. And we were just having a fun time, but the Holy Spirit just spun that conversation. And we ended up having a really great talk with Amy. And Kathy Caperna was just sharing her faith very boldly, but very succinctly to Amy, helping Amy understand the fact that, you know, there's only one true God. And she was, Kathy was totally compassionate with where Amy was coming from and her desire to explore other um, religions. But Kathy was very clear in her, in, her, in her message of Jesus is the Son of God. And it was a neat little boop didn't know it was coming, having a fun time, and then all of a sudden, here's a God-shaped encounter. And many of us, especially Kathy, became light to this girl, Amy. We've since prayed for Amy. I have prayed for Amy on several occasions, because why did God let us meet Amy? I mean, the whole evening was, you know, a couple hours. We were there a while. But um, why did God make that happen? What about Amy and us needed to connect? Because God said, I want you to prove your faith to this woman, and I'm going to set it up. Now, we don't know where it went. We have no idea. Likely, our paths will never cross. But it's being ready to prove your faith through your words and your actions to be an influencer in the circle that God puts you in. It's a custom-designed circle. And God knows exactly what he was doing when he put us with Amy at that fabulous Irish pub. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I won't sing the whole song. Let them see that. And the second thing I believe we should take away from this is that we are on earth to work for God. To work for God, not to earn our salvation. We've said that many times. But to prove our salvation. We are his workmanship. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He prepared them beforehand. He knew Amy and us were going to connect that night so that we could walk in them. Isn't that powerful? What works has God created for you to walk in? And what are you doing with those things? How are you doing? As a church, we're involved in a lot of works. 
Global Connections, Fam Jam, Pregnancy Center, Daughter Project, Vacation Bible School, First Thursday, Bike and Build, The Rock, Covenant Kids, BG Christian Academy, Open Homes, Foster Care, Campus Outreach, Bridging the Gap, and I'm sure there's more that I didn't mention. That's a lot. That's a great testimony to the kingdom strength of our church. But I'll leave you with this question. How are you involved in showing your faith through your works? Our purpose as a church is to know Jesus and to make him known. May that also be reflected in our individual lives. To know Jesus and make him known. We're going to worship God through our actions now. We're going to sing together. And we're going to take communion together. And so the worship team can come forward. We can all stand.